Good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. So if you do a Google search on life's priorities, I tried this, by the way, there are so many varieties of answers, so it's hard to discern what should have first place within our lives. One search I did from Google gave the top five priorities, and this is the order of importance that Google says you should have in your life. Okay, and Google knows everything, so let's listen to what Google has to say. Number one, they say, good health, because health is wealth. The second thing they say, it's a priority, the top priority is family and relationships, and that's not bad. Third one, listen to this, you should have confidence, self-investment, self-improvement. Number four, they say, is money and work. And then number five is balance of mind, body, and soul. In fact, there's a lot of lists of priorities that you can find on the web. Almost every one that I looked at was your walk with Christ is the last thing they mention on each one of these lists. But I thought about this and I thought, you know, the world has its own set of priorities. And even some well-meaning churches have a wrong set of priorities as well. But the Lord seemed to place our spiritual life and our walk with him as priority number one in almost every one of his teachings. In fact, this is what he said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You see, as a new creation, we've been given a renewed mind. Our desires should have changed. Our priorities should have changed. And we should all realize, and the older I get and the more people I see pass away, the more I realize this is true, that this life is simply, listen, a dress rehearsal for eternity. That's all this life is. And so if you, as a new creation, we should realize that. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, as we continue in that verse-by-verse -verse study. As you're turning there, let's catch up from last week really quickly. Last week, we talked about a megastorm. We learned about this megastorm that happened right after Jesus finished teaching these three parables on the unstoppable kingdom of God. The Lord basically took his followers from the classroom of learning about his word and shoved them right into a practical application. Here you've learned my word, now live my word. The one thing that really struck me about last week is these followers actually obeyed Jesus by getting into that little boat. And because they obeyed the thanks for obeying Jesus, they were thrown right into this mega storm. We learned that during the storms of life, Things will get windy. Things will get nasty. Your boat's going to get tossed around a little bit. But Jesus promised that he'd get you to the other side. With Jesus in your boat, you can smile in the storm. We're told that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And he's got a plan. And so this morning, we're going to meet this man that Jesus heals that has this affliction that's still a huge controversy even to today. It's somewhat like schizophrenia, and it's really strange. So if you have your sermon notes, Roman numeral one, the boat arrives at a Gentile territory. If your Bibles are open, Matthew chapter five, let's begin with verse one. The word of God says, then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. 
And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had this dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So when we read this narrative by Jesus, there's many questions that come to mind. I mean, I instantly had a million questions. And we might want to concentrate on this naked, demon-possessed man. In other Gospels, it says he was naked. So we can say, this is a naked, tormented, super-strength living being who lives in tombs. Or maybe we want to talk about demons. Warren Wiersbe said this, This entire scene seems to be very unreal for those of us who live in the so-called modern civilization. But it would not be that unreal in mission fields. In fact, some Bible teachers believe that demon possession is becoming more prevalent in today's modern society. So think about the disciples here. Okay? These disciples, remember what has happened. Jesus was on the other side, and he was teaching. He taught them three parables, described what it was, got them in this boat. He falls asleep. They run into this mega storm, magos, this satanic mega storm. They wake him up. They're scared out of his mind. And all of a sudden, now they've landed. And here comes this demon-possessed guy. Jesus, what are you doing to us? Why do we even come to a Gentile area, let alone a Gentile area that raises pigs? Why? What's the lesson here? But can I tell you, the main lesson here has nothing to do with demons or their power. It has nothing to do with these unclean pigs. But the main point of this entire narrative is the almighty, unmatchable power of the Lord Jesus Christ. There in your notes, the identity and mission of Jesus along with the way we respond to Jesus, is the main focus of this passage of Scripture. Now, there's a lot of controversy about exactly where this was, and we don't need to get bogged down in that. But I want to show you a picture. The city of Gadara and its surrounding areas, this is what's referred to as the Gadarenes. It's located southeast of the Sea of Galilee. The people were originally descendants of the tribe of Gad, but then they had been kind of intermarried and intermixed, and they become Gentiles along the way. And they're known for raising pigs. Now, if you remember all the way back to Leviticus, if you guys are going through the Bible in a year, you should be to Leviticus by now. If you're not, catch up. But if you read in Leviticus, we know that Raising pigs, they're unclean animals to Jews. They can't touch them. They can't eat them. They can have nothing to do with them. So immediately, these storm-tossed disciples jump out of the boat, and the scripture says, and immediately, these two demon-possessed men approach them. Now, Mark concentrates on one. But if we read the same narrative in the Gospel of Matthew, we find out there were actually two demon-possessed guys. Matthew 8, 28. There met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. So no one could go in their direction. Let's discuss some of this man's outward problems. And you've got to understand, 
We, in our human thinking, think these are his real problems. But can I tell you, these are just outward symptoms. His real problem is he needs Jesus. But let's talk about this. Luke 8, 27. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. All right, so there in your notes, this poor man has been demon-possessed for a long time. This isn't a new thing. Next, this poor man ran around naked and lived like a wild animal. Next, this poor man lived near decaying dead bodies near the tombs. And finally, this poor man was tormented and self-destructive, but this man had supernatural strength as well. So picture this guy, uncontrollable behavior. No one can bind him, not even with chains. And you go, what is going on with this guy? Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, that the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. But what a sad existence for this guy. Think about it. He probably started out as a normal guy, right? Whatever he opened up in his life to this demonic presence, who knows? But he probably was a normal member of society once upon a time. But at some point, these demons inhabit him, and now he can't even be a member of society. As a side note, I got to wondering how much of the drug use and the mental illness we see in America today, you, you got to wonder how much of that has to do with demonic possession and how much of that is just people with mental illness. Another sermon, another day. Roman numeral two. But Jesus' identity is no secret to these spiritual beings. Look at verse 6. And watch what this demon-possessed guy does. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. What a strange occurrence. Verse 6, he sees Jesus from afar off. He runs, falls on his face, and he worships the Lord. We have said this before. Only God is worthy of worship. If any person or even an angel accepts worship, it's blasphemy against God himself. I want you to notice something. Jesus does not correct this man from worshiping him. He accepts the worship. But, but here's my question. Why would a fallen angel, why would a demon, someone who followed Satan out of heaven when he was cast out of heaven, someone who denounced the Lord, why in the world would he want to worship Jesus? There's two schools of thought here, and I want to give them both to you. The first one, J. Vernon McGee said this. By the way, I disagree with this. But he says this was actually the man inside worshiping Jesus and not the demon. The demon was not worshiping Jesus. I disagree with that because of the context of the passage. There in your notes, however, demons, as well as Satan himself, are created servants of the Most High God, so they cannot help themselves but to fall and worship him. Philippians 2.9 says this, 
Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There in your notes, Mark 5, 7 is a demonic statement of faith. There are no atheists among demons because they know the absolute power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. James 2.19 says it this way. You believe that there's one God? You do well. The demons believe as well and tremble. You say, I believe there's a God in heaven. Great, what's his name? I believe there's only one God. Great, what's his name? Because, you see, the demons not only believe, they know without a shadow of a doubt that there's a God. And they know who Jesus is. And they tremble. The disciples may not have realized who Jesus is in all his glory and power yet. They're not getting it quite yet. They're kind of scratching their head going, hmm, what's going on here? But the demons, they know. They know who Jesus is. By the way, just a little trivia as a side note, when you read this same narrative in Matthew chapter 8, it is the first time in the New Testament that the name Son of God is used of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29. And so not only do these demons know who Jesus is, they know their future destiny. They know where they're going. And they know end times better than me or the Left Behind movie or anybody else. They know. They know. Matthew 8, 29 says it this way. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Have you come to torment us before the right time, Jesus? Are you getting ahead of yourself, Jesus? You know it's not time yet to send us to the abyss. In Matthew 25, 41, we read this. Then he will also say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, catch this, prepared for the devil and his angels. There in your notes, hell was originally created for Satan and his demons. But if you desire to go there, Jesus will not force himself upon anybody. There is a set time for end times to take place. And they look at Jesus and say, have you come here before the right time to torment us? And they implore Jesus in God's name, don't torment us. So they ask this and Jesus says, okay, guess what today is? Today's moving day. That's Roman numeral three in there in your notes. Moving day, look at verse eight. For he said to them, come out of the man unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Notice what happens is that Jesus commands that demon to come out. And then he says, by the way, tell me your name. 
He answers legion, for there are many. A Roman legion during this time was between four to 6,000 soldiers. Now, we don't know exactly how many demons possessed this man. We don't know. I mean, to, to make a count, but we do know it was a bunch of them, right? We know that they were destroying him and destroying his life and everything he had. And, and by the way, notice the demons went into a herd of 2,000 pigs. So if a legion's between four and 6,000, we don't really know how many demons there were, but they filled up 2,000 pigs. Wow. Someone once said this. Satan will take a man or a pig. And if he gets a man, he'll turn him into a pig. He doesn't care. See, Jesus had a mission, and he had a purpose there that day. And no demon or anybody else is going to stop the plan of God. Remember, Jesus' whole mission statement he gave us in Luke chapter 19. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his whole mission statement. You want to talk about a mission statement. You know, we have one here at the church, but this one's so simple. Why did Jesus come to seek and to save that which was lost? There's his whole mission statement. There in your notes, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee and endured the storm not only to teach his followers a great lesson on trust, but he also had a mission to save this desperate man's life. Would Jesus go all the way across the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a storm just to save one guy? Yes. Wow. And you notice that the demons don't want to be bound in the abyss, and they realize they need a host because they're spiritual beings. So they said, hey, don't send us into the abyss. Look, there's some pigs. Send us to the pigs. Jude 6 says this. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. So we know there are some demons. Why? There's some that are held until the last time and some are free to torment and go around. We don't know. We're not sure. But understand something. As scary and as weird as this is, all principalities, all powers are subject to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they like it or not. Paul said it this way in Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. All things. Okay? And again, notice the demons say, please don't send us to the place of torment. Send us into the pigs. Guzik said it this way. The demon did not want to leave his host. There in your notes. Demonic possession is when a demonic spirit resides in a human body. And at times the demons will show its own personality through the personality of the host body. So we know they need a body to inhabit. But I want you to notice something, and this really struck me. Do you realize the pigs have more sense than the man did? The moment that those demons run into the pigs, they run down the cliff. They have more sense than the man. We don't want these demons in us. Luke 8.35 says, Then they went out to see what had happened, and came to Jesus, and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, 
and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also who had seen it told them by what means he who was demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding regions of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got in the boat and returned. So here's the crux of the message. Roman numeral four. What's more important in your life? Look at verse 14. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. Later on in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to read these verses, and I think it's such an important verse for all of us. We'll hear this out of Mark 8.36. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There in your notes. While we all need to eat and make a living, unfortunately, many believers worship the God of money more than the Lord God. Think about this. In an act of grace and mercy, the Lord has just healed this man who was demon-possessed for a long time. We're not told how long, but we're told it was a long time. And we're told that he cut himself and that he did all these crazy things. He ran around naked. He was out of his mind. And Jesus comes and he heals this man. In fact, he heals both these miserable men. They are healed from their demonic possession. And the people who see what Jesus just did for these two guys, the thanks he gets, Jesus, leave us. Get out of our sight. We want no part of the Son of God. <laughs> Notice this. First, the demons say, we don't want any part of you. And now the people of the Gadarenes want no part of him. When someone rejects the Lord Jesus Christ, it's demonic any way you look at it. But these townspeople are scared. Why were they afraid? They just watched this miracle. I mean, again, this is the creepiest thing I can imagine. Jesus goes up to this guy, who are you? What's your name? We're legion for many. Come out. Go on to pigs. And they run down. They're scared. Why are they scared? Well, first, in Isaiah 66, we're told that some Gentiles offered swine's blood as a type of ritual. And Jesus just killed their pigs. These people who were terribly scared of the demons are now more scared of Jesus. This is crazy. They're scared of the power of Jesus more than they were the demons. Jesus shows up, reveals this man, gives him the truth, sets him free. Now he's in his right mind and the people are like, get out of here. The scripture very clearly says he's sitting at the right hand, clothed and in his right mind. But there's another reason these people want Jesus to leave. Remember, these people made a living off of raising pigs which again were illegal, unclean animals for the Jews. Money and profit was more important than what Jesus had just done. Money and profit. 
They were mad. They were scared. All their pigs are gone. Greed was these people's God. These folks are so mad over the loss of money, and they're just like, get out of here, Jesus. What's next? You took our living from us. What do you want next? Again, Mark 8, 37. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? A changed life scared these townspeople. Because this is why. And catch on to this. Why did someone's changed life scare these townspeople? Well, I'll tell you exactly why. What they have just witnessed is that there is a God in heaven. And if there is a God in heaven, and Jesus is who he said he was, you got to do something with this Jesus. You don't get to just sit back and say, well, that's nice that Jesus is the Savior of the world. No, no, no. If Jesus is the Savior of the world, it demands a response from you. It demanded a response from them. And they said, their response was, get out of here. More than eternal consequence, though, Jesus set this man free. And true freedom is not self-centered. Someone has to die to themselves to be set free. And the townspeople were like, no, thank you. But my job is more important. There's another aha moment here. And some of you sports fans, maybe you'll be able to plug your ears. In a couple of weeks, I hear there's a big game coming up. And I hear that they use a piece of pig skin playing this game. That's what I hear. And I can't help but think, is your pork more important than the Lord? There's nothing wrong with enjoying a football game. Can I just tell you? But what's more important? True freedom, again, is not self-centered. Someone has to die in order to receive that free gift. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2.1, And you, he made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. A changed life scares the world. Because it demands a response. It demands a response. And again, notice the whole city says, Jesus, get out. Get out. Our agenda, our bacon is more important than you. Get out. There in your notes, Matthew Henry said, There are a great many who prefer their swine before their Savior, and so come short of Christ and salvation by him. Because Jesus is a gentleman. You know, Revelation 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone lets me in, I will come in and sup with him. But notice, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Not behold, I stand at the door and kick it in. you got to open the door. So let's get practical. And as a practical application, the last couple of verses in our passage were better than I can ever do. So I decided to use this passage as our practical application. Look at verse 18. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. 
The man, out of a grateful response, goes and tells anyone who would listen, I was once a possessed man. I was self-destructive. I did all these things. Jesus set me free. Jesus set me free. You know, I thought about this and I thought about myself. A lot of people, they get saved and the first thing they want to do, let me go to heaven. You know, Jesus, you saved me. I'm ready to go to heaven today. I'm ready to go. Don't pray me back. Jesus, take me to heaven. And Jesus says, no, you got a mission. You got a purpose. Yeah, but how many of us get that bad case of the yeah, buts? But I want to go to heaven and be with you. And Jesus says, someday you will. But there are some storms of life you're going to go through. And in the meantime, by the way, I want you to proclaim the gospel to anyone who will hear. You've got a purpose. So no, sorry, guy, you can't come with me in the boat. Go back and tell your friends. I love to support missions work. And if you know about our church, we, we support quite a few missions. And where we get our mission statement from is actually Acts 1-8. And let me read it to you. The Lord Jesus Christ was speaking, and he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, listen, in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and then to the end of the earth. So first, in our missions, our first responsibility is to our Jerusalem and our Judea. And our Jerusalem and our Judea are people that are nearby that are like us. And then we're to reach out to our Samaria, which is people nearby us that may be culturally different. And then, finally, to the ends of the earth. So if you look at our missionaries, we have a couple that are worldwide. We have, I think, five that are here local. And one of the local ones, of course, is reaching worldwide. We're going to Kenya, if you hadn't heard. But that's how we look at missions. And so what Jesus is doing is the same thing he said here. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now go and tell those close to you. Then tell those who are close to you that are a little different. And then tell anyone who will listen. Go tell. Go tell. But this guy is such a perfect example of 2 Corinthians 5.17. This guy is the picture perfect. He's in his right mind. And now he's sitting at the right hand of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And 2 Corinthians, Paul says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This man was set free. He was under demon power, and now he's in his right man, his clothes, he's sitting next to Jesus. These disciples went from a megastorm to a rescue of a demon-possessed man, but all along the way, the Holy Spirit was revealing Jesus as the creator God of the universe. I have power over the storm. I have power over the demons. And by the way, I want to be your Lord too. Will you let me in? No one else in all of creation could set this man free. He was in bondage. They held him captive, but Jesus set him free. So here we go. Here's the question for us. What are you going to do with this Jesus? What are you going to do with this King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Will you beg Jesus to stay or will you beg him to leave? And, and so there's a number of things that I caught from this, and I'm going to give you five things as we close that I caught as practical applications. And as you go to small groups this week and you come up with 20 more, email them to me. I'd love to hear about them.
But here's the things I came up with. Number one, there in your notes. Man, apart from Jesus Christ, is powerless to deal with sin and darkness within people. If men fail to follow Jesus, that decision will rob them of their sanity, their self-control, and their eternity. And notice that society couldn't correct this behavior. They could throw all the drugs at it they wanted to. They could put them in an insane asylum. They could do all they wanted to do. But nothing was going to give this man back a right mind until he found Jesus. The second one's better. The demons had to obey the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. They didn't have a choice. There was no epic battle. Jesus didn't step up and Satan came out and said, I'm going to fight. No, Jesus just said, come out, go, get out, you're gone. And they went. And they had to even ask permission to go into the swine. So many Christians want to try and, you know, think it's yin and yang, that Satan is Jesus' equal. Can I tell you something? Satan is a created being and Jesus is creator. There's no equality there. None. Number three, and this is important, Satan only places people in bondage. He doesn't give any good gifts. And again, Satan will take a man or a pig, and if he gets a man, he'll turn him into a pig. Number four, some men worship pigs and money more than celebrating the freedom in Christ. Number five, Jesus came to men living within a tomb without an invitation. He just came to him. Again, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is always available and present. But a person has to be willing to accept him for themselves. Here's a little bit of trivia as we close. This city was totally destroyed, came to complete destruction. Israel fell to Rome in 70 AD. Maybe you remember the story and they tore down the temple and all that. But the Romans began their final assault in Gadara, this very area. So let me ask you, what's more important, the Lord or your pork? And I I made that the title of the sermon just to be an eye catcher. You know, what's he talking about? Is your pork more important? Timothy Keller said, everybody worships. The only choice is, what will you worship? And the compelling reason for choosing some sort of God instead of the Lord God is because everything else besides the Lord will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, can I tell you, it'll never be enough. You'll never have enough. You ask the richest man in the world if he's got enough money and he'd tell you no. Ask the most powerful man in the world if he's got enough power, and he'd tell you no. You know, I'll be happy when I have a brand new pickup. No, you won't. I'll be happy when I have a new wife, new life, new boat, new this, new this, new this, new this. No, you will not. If you cannot be happy worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ where he has you today, i got bad news for you. You will not be happy with things. Because things cannot fill the hole that God has placed in your heart. It's God-shaped, and only he can fill it. And in Christ, we're promised joy and peace and the abundant life. And it's so ironic that the Lord Jesus Christ made us 
with this God-shaped vacuum inside of us that only he can fulfill. And we're so smart as human beings that we shove everything in that hole. And I've heard it so many times, I've used it myself. I'll be happy when. The next time, please take this challenge. The next time you or someone you love uses that saying, I'll be happy when, just pull a Bob Newhart and say, stop it. Because you will not be happy when, if you cannot be happy worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ where he has you today. And so you got to ask yourself, what's more important, my pork or my God? I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And every week we're in the back and love to pray with you. I told you it was kind of a weird passage, right? But there's, again, the demons aren't the focus. Satan is not the focus. The Lord Jesus Christ and what he wants to do in you is the focus. Because he can take you and clothe you in white linen, make you holy and righteous and pure before the Father and give you abundant life right where you are today. That's what's important. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.